as we ring, read in Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. Please be seated. It is uh, my great privilege this morning to introduce you to Richard Floor, F-L-O-O-R-E, Richard Floor. Uh, Richard is currently a church planting resident here at Palmetto Shores Church. He's going to be planting... Gospel Hope Church in downtown Myrtle Beach uh, with his family, uh, his wife Heather and his kids, Trinity, Carly, Drewy, and Annie. Uh, and as I've gotten to know Richard over uh, the last few months, uh, their family's kind of been incognito hanging out here with us since January, so for the last seven months. And as I've gotten to get to know him um, over these few months, uh, the, the person in the Bible that comes to my mind when I think of Richard is Abraham. Uh, God showed up in Abraham's life, and he totally interrupted everything that Abraham was doing. He completely changed the subject in Abraham's life. And he told Abraham, he said, hey, I want you to pick up from where you live. I want you to not look back, and I want you to follow me. But here's the thing. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going, but I want you to follow me. And I feel like that's exactly what I've seen uh, God do in the life of Richard. Uh, Richard has committed. He's opened up his life. He said yes to God, and he knows that God is going to lead him. He knows that God is going to provide for him, but he doesn't quite yet have all the answers. And so just like Abraham, I've seen Richard uh, as this man of faith, this man who's trusting God with his whole life and hit their family. He's trusting God with their whole lives, and it's an awesome thing. So I'm thrilled that this morning y'all are going to get to hear him preach the word to us. And here's just a couple things I want to mention before we dive into Psalm 93. Um, the first is this. If you haven't had the opportunity to meet Richard yet, if you haven't uh, met him or his family, I want to please invite you. Come up after the service. Introduce yourself to him. Ask him a little bit about his story. Ask him, how did you get on this crazy journey of saying yes to God to plant a church? Uh, here, here's another thing. I would love for kind of starting today forward for us as a church to commit to pray for Gospel Hope Church to be lifting up Richard and Heather and their family in prayer and lifting up the work that they're going to do, the people that they've met already and shared Jesus with and who are going to continue to reach out to, that we would pray for the work that God's going to do. And then the third thing this morning is I just want to invite you guys to get ready, open up your heart to hear the word of God. Uh, there's, a, there's an old pastor. His name was uh, Robert Murray McChain, and he used to say this. He used to say the most important thing about him as a pastor for his church was his own holiness. What did he mean by that? What he meant is that what really brings about change, transformation, and effectiveness in the life of a church is the presence of God. And as I've gotten to know Richard over the last uh, seven months, 
I can attest that Richard is a man who is hungry for God. Richard is a man whose top priority is to live in the presence of God. And I think you're going to get a sense of that as he preaches this morning. You're going to get a sense that he is hungry for God, and he is hungry that you and I would come to know and love this God as well. So I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to dive into the word. God, I just want to lift up my servant Richard to you here, your servant Richard to you here. He is eager, Lord, to hide behind you, to find himself beneath your shadow, and just, Lord, to proclaim your truth. He's here as a messenger, as an ambassador, and God, it's your word that he's standing on. And so, God, would you make what he says effective in our hearts? Would you work mightily in us through your word? God, and would you lead us to Jesus? Would you lead us to the one who saves us, to the one who satisfies us through this ministry this morning? God, prepare our hearts now to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't we give Richard a big welcome, and then he's going to preach the word to us. All right, we will be in Psalm 93. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, the words will be on the screen in just a moment. But before we get to reading Psalm 93, I want to tell you a story about a king who lived in the 11th century. His name was King Canute, and he became king over England, and he would also become king over Denmark and Norway as well. Now, uh, the story goes that one day this king took his royal servants down to the seashore, and it says... With the greatest vigor, he commanded that his chair should be set on the shore when the tide began to rise. And then he spoke to the sea rising, the rising sea saying, You are part of my dominion, and the ground that I am seated upon is mine. No one has disobeyed my orders with impunity. Therefore, I order you not to rise onto my land, nor to wet the clothes or body of your Lord. If the story ends there, we can think this guy is absolutely crazy and has some pride issues but luckily, the story does continue. It says, But the sea carried on rising as usual without any reverence for his person and soaked his feet and legs. Then he, moving away from the water, said, All the inhabitants of the world should know that the power of kings is vain and trivial, and that none is worthy of the name of king but he whose command the heaven, earth, and sea obey by eternal laws." Now, the original version of this story was written uh, nearly nine centuries ago, and it was about a king who died nearly a thousand years ago. So how much of it is true and how much is embellished, I don't know. But I do know the principle behind the story is absolutely true. There is no one on this earth that has any authority compared to the Lord. The story continues that once the king had finished this display, he took off his crown never to wear it again, and placed it on an image of the crucifix of Jesus, Jesus, the only true king. We need to understand today that no president reigns, no king or queen reigns, no czar, no pharaoh, no sultan, no prime minister, no bishop, no imam, no priest, no pastor, no celebrity, no anyone nor anything reigns except the Lord. The Lord reigns Psalm 93, beginning in verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. 
mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the thunders of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Go to the Lord in prayer with me, please. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you do reign. I thank you that your decrees are very trustworthy. Lord, I thank you that you are mightier than anything we can face. And Lord, I just ask this morning that you show us, Lord, that you do indeed reign with majesty. Open our eyes to who you are. Open our eyes, God, to the magnificence of who you are. Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, as we talk about your word, I pray, God, your Holy Spirit is in the forefront. Lord, hide me behind your word. Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to all that you would have to say to us today. And Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't understand that the Lord reigns, Lord, I pray today will be the day they recognize it and surrender to you. We ask all this in your son's holy name. Amen. As I look at Psalm 93, I see it as a psalm of praise. I see it as a psalm of thanksgiving, and I see it as a psalm of hope. It begins by proclaiming, the Lord reigns. I could spend the rest of the sermon just focusing on those three words, and I would never come close to doing justice to what they really mean. There's a wealth of meaning in those three words, the Lord reigns. One part of its meaning is the Lord alone reigns, and no one else has authority to reign. We see the Lord himself declare this to the Israelites in Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord declares that he alone reigns. Throughout Scripture, from the opening verses of Genesis to the end of Revelation, we see the Lord reigns. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He shows his reign because he is the one who created everything that we know. He is the one that created everything we could ever see or experience. And he continues to show his reign as it says, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. After God created the heavens and the earth, his spirit reigned over his new creation. As we look through the pages of the Bible, we can look at the different characters in the Bible from Adam and Eve to Noah to Moses to uh, King Saul, King David, on into the New Testament with Peter, Paul, Herod, uh, King Agrippa, whoever it is. When we read the stories, we see clearly that the Lord reigns. We see the Lord reign in tragedy as well. When John the Baptist was beheaded, the Lord reigned. The Lord reigned when Judas betrayed him, when the Lord himself was arrested, put on trial, brutally beaten, and put to death on the cross. The Lord reigned. When the disciples were scattered because of persecution, the Lord reigned. And when James and Paul and Peter and so many others were martyred because of their faith in the Lord, the Lord reigned. Today, tragedy befalls mankind very often. If you look to the news or if you scroll through social media, you're bound to see some tragedy that has occurred recently. One of the ones that has my attention most is the flooding that's happened in Kentucky. In 2019, we went on a mission trip to the eastern part of Kentucky, and there's a few counties there that are some of the most impoverished in the United States. 
There are people who live in houses with outrunning water and without electricity, and they are just living in absolute poverty. And now these places have been hit with this horrendous flooding. But through it all, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns is present tense. Today, you can know and trust that the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns is a reflection of the past. Because the Lord has always reigned. And the Lord reigns is a promise for the future. Because one day he will manifest his eternal reign. Revelation 19 gives us a picture of this coming to life. Revelation 19 verse 1 says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. And then in verse 5 it says, And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. The words, the Lord reigns, are words of praise as we see here in Revelation 19. Do you praise the Lord because he reigns? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's something you must learn to do daily, to praise the Lord because he reigns. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray that today as you hear his word proclaimed, that you will begin to understand what it means that the Lord reigns and that you will surrender to his reign. Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23, the Lord himself says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. We know that one day every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord but for some, it will not be until the day of judgment when there is no chance for repentance. So if you're here today and you don't know that Jesus is Lord, don't leave this place today without coming to figure out what that means. If you're a believer, then this is a psalm of thanksgiving. The Lord reigns and we should be uh, thankful. We have innumerable reasons to be thankful that he reigns. And if you are a believer, then these are words of hope. No matter what you face in this life, whether trials or tribulation, temptation, struggles, anxieties, and all the other hard things that come in this life, we can trust the Word of God and trust that He does indeed reign. The Lord reigns, so I praise Him. The Lord reigns, so I thank Him. The Lord reigns, so I place my trust in Him. As we continue to read through Psalm 93, we're going to focus on three ways in which the Lord reigns. The first is the Lord reigns with majesty. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The word majesty is not a word that I use very often or hear very often. As I I began to think about the word majesty. I could think of movies that I've seen where somebody references a, a king or queen, and I get the formality of it all. 
but it doesn't evoke any understanding in me of what this word majesty really means. And as I uh, continued to think about it, I thought there are times when I've heard people refer to um, animals like a Clydesdale or a lion or maybe these really big old oak trees or the redwoods out in California, and they call them majestic. And then you've even got things like mountains where people would call them majestic. And I, I get the idea, but it still doesn't seem to have the emphasis of what the psalmist is trying to say about the Lord. So I looked through other places in Scripture, and as I read through other places in Scripture, there was this idea of a highness or a being lifted up which again definitely makes sense. None of these seem to be wrong. They just seem to be lacking something. I looked to the dictionary and I found uh, entries like grandeur, authority, sovereign power. Again, all correct, but just seem to still be lacking. And finally, I, I continued to look and in Britannica, it defines majesty this way. It says, Majesty is awe, A-W-E, awe-inspiring greatness, particularly seen as an attribute of divine or sovereign power. As I read that definition, it began to take hold of what this word majesty really means here in Psalm 93. So when I read, he is robed in majesty, what I'm really reading is, he is robed in awe-inspiring greatness, only seen as an attribute of his divine and sovereign power. Wow, this is what the Lord is wearing. This is the robe that he has on. Awe-inspiring greatness from his divine and sovereign power is his garment. There is nothing else and no one else on all the earth or in all the universe that this can be said about. Majesty is the Lord's clothing. And on top of that... The belt that he is wearing around his majesty is strength. Mankind often thinks that we have some form of majesty. We think that we can show some display of strength or power, but compared to God, we cannot. And God makes it clear to Job in Job 40 that mankind has no majesty. We have no power. Job is a man who by all accounts was a righteous man who sought after God, but Satan came along and and put him on trial. He took away his family. He took away his riches. He took away his health. And And Job never doubted God. Job never cursed God, but Job began to question his own life. He began to question why he even existed. And there's a, a long conversation between Job and some of his friends back and forth. But at, towards the end of the the book of Job, in chapter 40, uh, the Lord makes a lot of statements to Job, but we're going to read just five verses, Job 40, verses 10 through 14. Job rebuking, uh, God rebuking Job. God says to Job, Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. The Lord has challenged Job to clothe himself with majesty. Job could not. 
God has challenged Job to show his power over the world. Job had none. And because of that, God says, listen, you cannot save yourself. The things that you're going through, you can do nothing about. Only I can. Job was powerless. And so is every man, woman, uh, boy and girl. We have no power. The The chapter continues at the end of verse 1. It says, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. This majesty and strength that God has has allowed him to establish the world and nothing in this world can be changed without the Lord himself doing it. The world one day will see the Lord's eternal reign, but we are not waiting for his throne to be established. His throne is already established. It says here in uh, verse 2, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. This is part of the majesty of the Lord. This is part of his strength. His throne was established before the earth was established. The Lord did not begin to reign. The Lord simply reigns from eternity past to eternity future. The Lord reigns. What the Lord has put in place stays where the Lord has put it in place because he reigns robed in majesty and belted with strength. As we read these first two verses of Psalm 93, it should bring us to a place of praising the Lord because he reigns. It should bring us to a place of thanking the Lord because he reigns. And it should bring us to a place of hoping in the Lord because he reigns. The magnificence of what it means that the Lord reigns is that he is sovereign. He is in complete power over anything that happens. The significance of him wearing this belt around him shows that he has absolute sovereign power, and there is no one who can question it. When we read that the world has been established and it will not be moved, you can understand that anything that you know, experience, and ever could is under the Lord's control. And when the Bible proclaims the good news of the Lord's throne being established of old and him being from everlasting, we can trust that his sovereign reign is eternal. It always has been and it always will be. There is no one who can say otherwise. The Lord reigns and he reigns with majesty. As we continue to read through these verses in verses 3 and 4, we see that the Lord reigns mightier. Verse 3 says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Floods are a very powerful thing. Uh, This area is no stranger to the floods as over the past few years, floods have affected this area often. Uh, Many of you in here either have probably uh, been impacted by the floods or at least know somebody who's been impacted by the floods. Talking about the the flooding that's happened in Kentucky. If you want to see the devastation that floods can bring, just look at some of the pictures. You see houses destroyed, sometimes moved off of their foundation and sitting in the middle of a road. You see piles of cars heaped up together where the water has swept them just like somebody was sweeping a kitchen up and piled them up. You can see the faces of the people who lived there 
uh, just looking utterly devastated. And you hear stories of people who have lost their lives tragically because of these floods. But the Bible lets us know that God is mightier. One instance of showing us that God is mightier happens in Joshua 3. We see here the Israelites are finally going to be able to enter the promised land. And uh, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, God has appointed Joshua as the new leader. And he says, I'm going to send y'all over into the promised land. And you're going to cross this Jordan River on dry land. Now you've got to understand the Jordan River was at flood stage at this point. So it was deeper than normal. It was wider than normal. It was flowing faster than normal. But God says, I'm going to send the priests ahead of you, and they're going to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And when they walk into the water, the water will stop flowing. We see the story here in uh, Joshua 3.15. It says, As soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water... In parentheses, now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the time of harvest, letting us know as it's flooding. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Can you imagine this scene? There is this flooding river sweeping by, and as the priests step into it, the water stops flowing. And not only that, the, dry, the ground is now dry. There are literally tens of thousands of Israelites who have to cross through this dry riverbed. The Lord shows that he is mightier than the flooding river. But in my mind, the, the thing that I really want to see is this heap of water. Because it says this heap of water is backed up to the town of Adam. This town of Adam is some 15 to 20 miles away from where they believe the Israelites would have crossed the Jordan River. Can you imagine this heap of water that all the inhabitants of the land would have seen. They knew that day that the God of the Israelites was mightier. Now, there are places in Scripture where flooding doesn't really necessarily talk about, is not referencing water, but it's used as imagery for the destruction that people or even nations can bring. We see in Jeremiah 47.2, the Lord uses this imagery himself. It says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall, over, and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall well. This is not God describing a flood of water coming into the land. This is God describing an invading army that is coming in, in this case, to destroy the Philistines but he uses the imagery of water. In Psalm 69, David cries out to God. And David says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number then the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me. 
those who attack me with lies. David is not talking about a, little, a literal flood washing over him. He is being pursued by many enemies, and he is drowning because of their pursuit. He is drowning because they are trying to destroy him. So when we read Psalm 93, whether the floods that we read about are literal floods of water or whether they are floods of enemies coming to attack, the one thing that we need to understand today, God is mightier. Another thing that water and flood represents in Scripture is death. The two easiest places to go to, to show that are the story of Noah, where everyone who wasn't on the ark died, and then the story of Jonah, where Jonah is fleeing the presence of God and because of it is tossed into a raging sea and is sinking down to death, and God appoints a fish to come and swallow him up. In both of, the, both of these instances, these people are facing death, but God shows that he is mightier. In the case of Noah, him and his family float safely on top of the water in the ark. And in the case of Jonah, God appoints the fish to go and vomit him on dry land. Both of these stories, these people are facing death, but God provides them with new life. Jesus himself, when he walked this earth, displayed how the Lord is mightier. When Jesus was in a boat and there was a storm raging and all the disciples thought they were going to die, uh, Jesus was sleeping and they wake him up and Jesus simply tells the storm, peace be still. And the waves stop and the wind stops and everything is calm. And uh, unlike King Canute who couldn't keep the tide from coming in, Jesus didn't have to worry about the tide. He was in control of it. Jesus, uh, instead of parting the sea so he could walk through it on dry ground, he simply walked across it on top of the water. Jesus, the Lord, is mightier. And ultimately, Jesus showed how he is mightier when he willingly took his life to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. For anybody who would trust in who he is, he laid his life down, and then of his own accord, he took his life back up defeating death forever. The Lord indeed is mightier. I can see how these uh, verses would be a psalm of praise for the Israelites as they are escaping Egypt. They have the Red Sea on one side and they have an invading army of the Egyptian chariots on the other. And for a moment, they don't know what they're going to do, but God provides a way. And he parts the Red Sea and I can imagine them on the other shore as they have crossed through on dry ground, and as the Egyptian army has been cast into the sea, praising God, saying, the Lord is mightier. I can imagine Noah and his family sitting on the ark as they are above the earth in the flood, thanking God that he is mightier than the flood. And I can picture David there in Psalm 69 with all that mighty the mighty enemies that are trying to attack him, having hope in God, saying, but God is mightier. For you today, maybe there are struggles that you are facing. Maybe there's financial struggles. Maybe there's struggles in your job. Maybe there's struggles within your family. Maybe life just doesn't seem to be going right. Maybe there's struggles with temptation or sin. 
whatever you are facing today, know that the Lord is mightier. As we continue into verse 5, the third thing we see about the Lord's reign is the Lord reigns with trust. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The psalmist declares that your decrees are very trustworthy. He is talking about the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. When the Lord is declared to reign, He is absolutely trustworthy in His reign. There is nothing to be doubted about anything that the Lord has proclaimed. The Lord cannot lie. The Lord cannot fail to uphold His covenant. And the Lord cannot fail to fulfill His promises. All that the Lord proclaims throughout the Bible is absolutely trustworthy, without question, and without fail. Throughout Scripture, the Lord encourages us to place our trust in Him. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. I know sometimes it's easy for a moment to trust in the Lord, but then we tend to fall back to our own understanding. But the emphasis here is to not lean on our own understanding. In Isaiah 26, 4, it says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You are not a rock. You will falter and fail, but the Lord is an everlasting rock that can be uh, held on to with great confidence. In Jeremiah 17, we see two conflicting ideas. We see the idea of those who trust in the Lord being blessed and those who trust in man being cursed. Jeremiah 7, uh, 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Now, this idea of being blessed is not about having great wealth. It's not about having all you could ever want. It's not about uh, getting the things of this world. But the, Jeremiah goes on to, to explain what it is. He says, He is like a tree planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. You are blessed when you trust in the Lord, but you are blessed so that you can bear fruit for His kingdom. When you are planted in the Lord, when you rest in the Lord, when dry times come, He will sustain you. When the things of life beat you down, He will uplift you. He will see you through them. But the verses right before that tell us, again, that those who do not trust in the Lord are cursed. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. The Bible is clear. When we place our trust in man, we are cursed. When we place our trust in our own strength, we are cursed. Why? Because when we do those things, our heart turns away from God. The description of what this man is like, he is dry and weary and thirsty, and there is no hope for him. There is nothing 
fruitful in his life. Maybe the most important thing for many of us to understand today is that I do not reign. When you can truly say the words, I do not reign, then you can really begin to say, the Lord reigns. When you can say, I do not reign, then you can begin to place your trust in the Lord. We read earlier that one day every knee will bow to Jesus and confess him as Lord. Let today be that day for you. If you've never placed your trust in him, do not leave this place today in that same condition. I want you to know the decrees of the Lord are very trustworthy. When the Lord makes a promise of blessing, you can absolutely count on it. But the same is true when the Lord promises a curse, you can absolutely count on it as well. If you trust in the Lord, then all that is promised through the good news of Jesus is yours. Not because of you, but because the Lord reigns with trust and he is absolutely trustworthy. If you do not trust in the Lord, he has a promise for you as well. That promise is death and subsequently eternal separation from the love and goodness of the Lord. There may not be a lot of things in this world that you can hold on to with certainty, but the promises of the Lord are certain. Why are the promises of the Lord so trustworthy when it seems that nothing else on this earth is? In verse 5, it continues, Holiness befits your house. This word holiness is this idea of separation. It is this idea of being set apart. All the corruption and evil that is in this world, God is separated from it. He is completely righteous. He is completely perfect. He is completely void of any falsehood. This separation is what keeps those who don't place their trust in Jesus from being reunited with God. But this separation is what allows us to have absolute trust in Jesus beyond all measure. If you're here today, I hope that you do trust in Jesus. I hope that you can praise him because the Lord reigns. I hope that you can praise him in his glory as he is robed in majesty. I hope that you can thank him because he is mightier than anything you have faced and anything you ever will face. And I hope that you can hope in him because his words are absolutely trustworthy. But if you're here today and you do not trust in Jesus, you've never surrendered to him, I want to encourage you to think about the words, from, uh, the, the words we've heard from the Lord today. His word proclaims how to be saved. His words are absolutely trustworthy. The Lord reigns. He reigns with majesty he reigns with absolute sovereign power. He has reigned from eternity past, and he will reign until eternity future. Whatever you are facing, he can help you through it. And all that he says is absolutely trustworthy. Know that today you can be saved. 
Romans 10, 13, the Lord proclaims all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you place your trust in the word of God and you call out to the Lord today, his word promises that you will be saved. I want to encourage you. If you don't know the Lord, come up here after the service and uh, someone will be glad to spend as long as needed to help you understand who this Jesus is, to help you know that he is trustworthy so that you can surrender to him. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to just uh, understand that he does reign and just look at your life and think, where am I not letting him reign? Because when the Lord reigns, he, uh, the things in life will be infinitely better than where he doesn't. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Lord, I just praise you because you reign. Lord, I thank you that you reign over my life, Lord. And I just, I confess, Lord, that oftentimes I want to take that reign back. Lord, help me to understand that where you reign and when you reign, life is infinitely better. Lord, if there is anyone here today that doesn't understand that you reign, don't let them leave this place without coming to ask questions. Don't let them leave this place without wanting to know more about who you are. And for those of us that do know you reign, Lord, help us to uh, take an inventory of our lives and understand the places in our lives where we need to let you reign. Lord, just uh, pray, God, that you are glorified and honored as we uh, go into this time of prayer. In Jesus' name.